We're going to be in John 10 today, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Um, uh, this week I'll finish uh, Romans chapter 8, and uh, one of the, one of the t- things I will touch on uh, this Sunday morning is the doctrine of eternal security and uh, our perseverance of the saints, or what it, what it was originally called uh, by the Reformers, the final perseverance of the, of the saints. Uh, and so I will touch on that a little bit Sunday morning. What I thought I'd do is I'd spend a little more time on it today uh, just for you guys. And so uh, we're going to be in really verse 27 to 29. I'll launch off that passage, and then we'll go to a number of other passages uh, as well. And I think um, one of the things that you always want to do uh, when, you're, when you're dealing with a tough topic uh, John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29, when you deal with a tough topic like this or a debatable topic or one that uh, even a number of other believers uh, disagree with you on, uh, you, you have to understand when it comes to eternal security, uh, there, there are some passages that can seem to be uh, interpreted the other way that you can lose your salvation. And a lot of times what we do um, is uh, let's say that you have, you know, somebody that grows up in church A and somebody that grows up in church B and church A believes in the doctrine of eternal security. Guess what? Their pastor preaches and their Sunday school teacher always teaches those passages that really lean heavily towards eternal security. And the person who grew up in in B, church B, who didn't really believe in eternal security, guess what? Their pastors and their Sunday school teachers always taught the verses that seemed to be debatable as to whether you could could ever lose your salvation or not. And so you have these people that uh, anytime they get in a con, then then all of a sudden they're working with you and you have a cup of coffee and you know you're a believer. And then all of a sudden it says, well, what, what about the people that can lose their salvation? And you go, well, what about these verses I've been hearing all my life that say you can't you lose your salvation they go well what about these verses and we're going oh yeah I really hadn't heard about that verse and vice versa so what I thought I'd do today is um, I would uh, uh, I would spend some time on eternal security uh, and but I want to also address some of those passages that if if you or ever encounter someone that say you can lose your salvation uh, you'll at least have heard them and you can at least say I should have paid attention when the pastor went over this uh, on Tuesday morning but it was prior to sunrise so I didn't get it and uh, but uh, but anyway uh, let, me, let me just ask a question and it's where you be honest um, and, and it's okay to be honest it's okay to be wrong uh, uh, but uh, no, how many of you um, uh, believe that, uh, that that's good? I hadn't, I hadn't finished my sentence, Chuck, but I'm glad you're in on the belief part. How many of you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? Okay, now I know that it seemed like almost everybody, uh, but how many of you uh, believe or think, or at least think there's an option that a Christian, a true Christian, uh, not someone who just goes to church, a true Christian uh, might be able to lose their salvation. Is there anybody that believes that or thinks that or wonders that? Okay. All right. There you go. All right. I, I, I applaud. I applaud y'all. And if you want to lose your salvation, Brian, go ahead. So, uh, no, that's, uh, that's not the case. And so uh, I want to tell you, let me just share a few things. Here are not every person in every denomination 
believes what the what the basic doctrine of the denomination is. They don't believe every point. As a matter of fact, if you if you were to survey Baptist, uh, we're probably the most eclectic, knuckleheadish group out there uh, on things that people believe. I've heard some of the wildest things I've ever heard uh, in. Um, uh, you know, and in, in, in after 22 and a half years here, uh, I've heard some crazy things from some lifelong Baptist. And I'm like, now, what denomination did you grow up with? And they'll say Baptist. And I'll go, really? There are Baptists that believe that. So uh, not everybody, there's a stated doctrine of the denomination. Let me just kind of give you in broad perspective um, the denominational beliefs as it relates to once saved, always saved. Um, Those uh, denominations, this doesn't mean individuals within a denomination, but those denominations that do believe that you could lose your salvation would be Methodist, uh, Methodists believe you can lose your salvation, Lutherans, uh, Pentecostals, and Roman Catholics. All right, so those are the broad perspective uh, denominations. And they, they believe that once someone has tasted salvation, come to a place where they have been saved, that person can turn away at some point and lose their salvation. And uh, so, but that doesn't mean every Methodist and every Lutheran and every Roman Catholic, uh, and it doesn't mean every every Pentecostal. And if you run, want to run in that Pentecostal line, that's Assembly of Gods. If you've you've heard of them, uh, on the other side, those denominations who, from the top, probably in their stated beliefs, uh, that do not believe uh, your uh, you can lose your salvation. Those would be Baptist, uh, Presbyterians, uh, Bible Church, and non-denominational. Uh, those would be probably the one. The non, when I say non-denominational, that's that's leaning towards the Bible Church, not the charismatic or uh, Pentecostal variety of quote non-denominational. That would be uh, on the Bible uh, Church side. So, uh, who in here grew up either Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, or Roman Catholic? Okay, well, y'all are out of favor with the teaching of your denomination. And uh, now, that also doesn't mean that uh, you didn't have a particular pastor in that denomination who disagreed with the overarching denominational teaching. Does that make sense? That you might have grown up uh, with, uh, with a Methodist pastor. There was a good friend of mine right after I came to uh, Allen years ago. We started the... Uh, um, we we started kind of the Allen uh, Police Chaplain program, which I'm I'm still a part of, and um, you know he was right down here. He planted Sun Creek Method United Methodist Church, and he and I used to hang out. And he was about as evangelistic and perseverance of the saints as I ever thought. I remember sitting there having breakfast with him. That was back when there wasn't a bunch of pastors around, and so we spent a lot of time together. And uh, I'd sit there with him. I'd say, "You sound like a Baptist." And uh, he goes, I know, I've been told that from the time I went through seminary. And he was evangelistic. And, man, he would talk about once saved, always saved, and perseverance of the saints. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I'd love to trade you for a couple of Baptist pastors, I know, just to even swap. And so, uh, anyway, great, great guy. So how many of you grew up Baptist, Presbyterian, Bible church, non-denominational? All right. Very good. All right, so those are the two um, the, the the two kind of strands um, in this, and really the idea uh, that uh, that flows from 
from this really comes from some scriptures that can confuse us or perhaps even a philosophy of ministry, even a philosophy of ministry of, all right, what about the person? And this is the one that gets used against the Baptist all the time. What about the person that walks the aisle when they're seven years old or eight years old or nine years old or 10 years old? And I will tell you, when I first came out here, um, and uh, I remember doing many uh, funerals, and I would uh, I would do funerals for people that had been connected to the church, or their kids were in the church, or those kind of things. And I'd, I hadn't seen the person in ten years in the church, but they were on the church rolls. Uh, I, I didn't know that much about their life. Or uh, also, and, and you and you do this, I will tell you, uh, there are times uh, when you are one of the few pastors that's uh, uh, that's in the area. Uh, that is willing to do anything, anytime, because you got to put food in your baby's mouth. Um, that it's not, it wasn't uncommon years ago, and they still do it to our staff. Is turn time, Jackson will call you, and they'll say, uh, uh, they'll say, hey, we have someone that uh, has passed away. We need a minister to come. And I would always go meet with the family, and you'd hear the family, and you you would at least hear some of the circumstances around um, uh, around the death of the person. Nothing in the person's life, in the person's testimony, in the even the family's testimony about the individual said that they were a believer. Does that make sense? I mean, at least what I heard. But it was then not uncommon to have a sweet grandmother to say, but we know where he or she is now. Does that make sense? And I remember thinking, do we now <laughs> know where that person is? Uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of times I would stand up there and uh, I would, uh, having knowing, no- knowing nothing, um, not knowing the individual, but looking, surveying the room, and looking at the people in the room, it's a, it's a balancing act that uh, that you share, and it was not uncommon. I had a favored phrase in those situations that I really didn't have a sense of where that person was. Uh, I would just say, you know, old Johnny, uh, he lived a life, and if Johnny is in heaven, here's why. And so to never say he was in heaven, just to say if he is in heaven, here is why. And uh, that that if word was very important to me. Uh, and then I would say, and if you are going to end up in heaven uh, at some day, uh, let me tell you how. And so that's how you put it. But you don't look at someone's life and you don't say um, say they are there or they aren't there. And we always want to be careful. We don't want to become... Uh, as um, uh, as Christians, we don't want to become fruit inspectors. Do you know what I'm talking about? We don't want to walk around judging somebody as to whether they're a believer or not believer. That's not our call. God, Jesus Christ, great commission was for us to go and make disciples, not for us to go and inspect the fruit. Uh, our job is to passionately share the gospel, preach the gospel, teach the gospel uh, to everyone we come into contact 
with and make disciples. Our job is not to sit around and inspect the fruit. Now, some people think that their spiritual task in the church is to inspect other people's fruits. Uh, I I will tell you uh, that is not our call. In fact, I don't think you have to inspect that much. A lot of people think it's their, 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 uh, uh, their spiritual gift to inspect people's fruit. Uh, that uh, and don't take that too far, uh, but um, you know some people think it's that's that's what God has called them to. They sit around and judge everybody, judge this person and judge that person. Are they in the faith? Are they out of faith? Are their works good? Are they not good? Here's what I know: Galatians chapter five says the fruit of the flesh is evident. I don't have to look hard, but it also says the fruit of the spirit is evident. Right? Same word about the fruit of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. They're both evident. I don't have to dig around. I don't have to gossip. I don't have to talk to... Just just if you want to just casually observe their lifestyle. Are they headed the same way as you are? Are they, uh, are they talking the same way you do? Are they living the same way you are? Now, at the same point, you don't want to be um, that kind of person, that kind of individual that looks for a couple of big sins in a person's life in the past. And let that, that mistake, that sin, that blunder uh, be what determines whether you think they're in or they're out. Uh, years ago, uh, boy, the D word used to be it. If they had been through a divorce, boy, that was a monstrous thing. Well, we've gotten over the big D is little D now, and, and you know, it's just, just happened to a lot of us, a lot of people in this room. But, boy, there are a lot of times people used to hang that on their, you know, on the person. Or if someone had, uh, you know, had an affair, uh, boy, you just, uh, I don't know if they're a believer. Or if someone uh, had, um, had, you know, drank. You know, that's the old Baptist thing. If they were a drinker, you can always question their, their salvation. Uh, uh, if, uh, you know, there, there were a couple of big things that, boy, if, if that happened, they, they questioned their salvation. And that's not who we want to be. Uh, because uh, if you look, and as we come to Romans chapter 8, uh, if you look at Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, All of Romans 1, 2, and 3 is Paul laying out the fact that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous that are no, not one. That uh, Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what did he say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is an incredible case that none of us left on our own merit uh, could do anything we can to get to heaven. As a matter of fact, if you were here the first Sunday I started preaching this series uh, in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, immediately preceding Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Immediately preceding that is chapter 7, where Paul says, and at the same time, there is now a war going on within me in the flesh and the spirit. Does that make sense? There is a war. And sometimes we are better at winning the war than other times. There are times that, man, it just, it just senses. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, um, there are times that I can look up because of what's going on in my life. And I, I've, been, I've been dwelling mentally uh, in Romans chapter 7. I'm mad. I feel like I've been un, unduly judged or attacked or stabbed in the back or someone I loved and cared for, mostly they're the staff, uh, have stabbed me in the back. I'm kidding you, by the way. Uh, if they weren't here, I wouldn't say it. Uh, and I, I, if I'm not careful, I'll find myself in Romans 7. Does that make sense? I mean, anybody like that? You look up. If you aren't careful, you can be in Romans 7 with your wife, right? 
the, the, the woman of your dreams, the woman you love, whatever, you, you, you get a little bit off kilter and uh, you, you, have, you have certain, uh, certain desires and wants and plans in your life and she's just kind of, I don't want to do it and I don't want you know, I don't, I don't to do this or I'm tired or you know, you, whatever, here we shouldn't do this. And guess what? Then we have a response and then we're both in Romans chapter 7 together when we both know we need to be in Romans chapter 8 and, and, and that sweetness in our relationship is not what it needs to be, right? Right? I mean, we can all get back there. And I love the idea that Romans chapter 3 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, now I have this war that is waging on in my flesh. Uh, but, but remember, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it needs to be a battle. But I think Paul is also insinuating that as Christians from time to time, uh, we can stop fighting. We can have a few pet sins that we just go with the flow. And that can happen to a believer. That can happen to a believer. But if we want to fight the battle, we want to live in Romans chapter 8. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Then as it goes down in verse 4 and 5 and following, where he says, man, I, I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be transformed by the Spirit of God. I want to live with the mind of Christ. And, and so now you go through Romans chapter 8 a little for, uh, further. We looked at it last week. Uh, man, God causes all things to work for the good, or God works for the good in all things. All things aren't good. All things aren't good, but God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And now when we get to where we're going to be this week in Romans chapter 8, Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither things present nor things to come. And that is a great thing. That is a great thing. So let's go to a passage uh, as, we, as we look at it. In Romans chapter 10, this is Jesus talking. Pick it up in verse 27. Uh, pick it up in verse 27. Did uh, I say Romans 10? John 10. John 10. John 10. Are you all confused? All right. You, some of you all go to Romans 10, and some of you all go to John 10. And uh, the, the, somebody else over here at this table go to Galatians 10. And... Uh, All right, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 29, he says, And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. All right, so what is Jesus saying? My Father has given to me some, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. So we're held in Christ's hand. And then he says, my Father, who is greater, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. So basically, you and I are held with the two fists, uh, Jesus is holding us in his hand. The Father is holding Jesus' hand in our hand and us, us in his hand. And then we're going to look in a few minutes that, well, where's the Holy Spirit in this whole gig? Well, we're going to see here in a few minutes the Holy Spirit is in our heart. So you, you, we're wrapped twice outside and once inside by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that no one will able to, be able to snatch us out of his hand. Who would want to snatch us out of his hand? 
Satan, absolutely. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, New American Standard, and have it more abundantly, right? So here, here's the passage. Now, if you look at this passage, uh, this is one of those times, and you hear me, hear me say, say this from the platform. I don't like to do a lot from the platform on Sunday morning uh, because uh, I think some people's eyes can just roll back in the back of their head when you talk about what it says in the Greek and stuff like that. And, 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 and I mentioned that Sunday because uh, whatever the tense was there on the aorist tense on those five Greek uh, verbs that were in that last verse we looked at, they were all pointing towards that last verb that, that those were believers are going to be glorified. The whole point was not uh, they're in the same tense, that, that God called us in the past, is calling us today, he'll call us in the future. God predestined us in the past, predestined us now, predestines us in the future. A lot of times people want to say, well, long before, you know, before God ever created, he predestined and called certain ones, and then you get into the idea of the foreknowledge, right? Well, did God call based on his foreknowledge that he knew some would receive and some would or did God just say, I'm going to choose you? Yes, you know, yes, no, yes, no. And that's where we get in. Well, the point of that passage is not that at all. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying in the aorist tense, long ago, God knew. Today, God knows. In the future, God knows. Long ago, God predestined. Today, he predestined. In the future, he predestines. And did you just go all three, all five of those verbs right there all the way to in the past he glorified us in his heart and in his mind. Today he's glorifying us, but someday we know he will glorify those who are in Christ Jesus. And so don't like to look and spend a lot of time in the Greek, but I do want to point out something from this passage that if you're a translator, the Greek is a very picturesque language. The, the Greek is a very picturesque language. Uh, in, in other words, they, they, didn't have, they didn't have as many words in the Greek language as you and I have in the English language. Uh, and, you know, their blue was blue, right? How many blues do we have? We've got too many, right? Uh, their reds were red. Now we got Aggie red and Sooner red and all of, you know, whatever, the maroon and all of those kind of things. But, but I want you to know that... The context is what determined uh, how you translated that word. And the Greeks understood it because they lived it and they knew it. Knew it. But if you're going to be a translator into English, um, you've got to make a choice. Or every one of your English verses as you translate the Bible are going to be 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 words longer than it actually is in your Bible. Does that make sense? And so what they do is they do their best to gain what the original meant and convey that. That's why if you if you are uh, if if you your favorite translation like me is the New American Standard. That's my favorite translation. I don't preach from it anymore. I used to primarily because no one has it and no one reads from it. Uh, the most commonly still to this day is the NIV. That's what I preach from. Not my favorite translation, but what I know if there is a baby believer, a new believer, chances are if they're going to go home and I'm going to encourage them to read something, vast majority of them are going to open up an NIV, and I want it to look like and sound like what I just preached at. That's, that's why I did. Uh, a lot of people love the ESV or the Christian Holman Bible, all great translations, but if you lay those verses next to each other, you're going to notice they don't translate exactly the same, right? That's because the translator had to make a decision. 
the translator, what, what do I sense is the best word currently? And a lot of it has to do with when was that translation originally done? You go back to the King James. They made the best translation. Well, they, they, they kind of made the best translation they could have at that time without offending the Catholic Church on baptism and a number of other things. Uh, but they chose some words that were contemporary to them. Then if you go to the New American Standard, the original New American Standard was translated in 1911. They chose some words that were contemporary to them. In 1911, now they've updated. Now they've got a revised New American Standard. They've got a new New American Standard is what they have. And then you've got the NIV and all of those things. They choose words that convey the passage. But in this passage, I want to tell you, there is a lot that they left out. In this passage, the Greek word for never in this passage is actually in there four times. You don't see it that way in the, in the English in the Greek, the word never is actually in these three verses four times. If you put a word, if you put a word or I put a word in a sentence and a half four times, people would think we had Alzheimer's. They were just repeating ourselves or we were stuttering. But especially when you went into that society, when someone kept using the word over and over again, it was the point of emphasis. And so what Jesus is saying here, let me give you the best translation. If you want a literal wooden translation of these passage, he says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall not at all by any means, in any cause, in any place, in any time, for any purpose, whether they are made male or female, perpetually ever perish. That's almost what he is saying right there. They will never, no, never, 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 never perish, nor will they be snatched from my hand. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus is saying, nor will they be snatched from my father's hand. And what an incredible thought. Uh, as we go down, let me just kind of share a couple of other things for you. Uh, you know, part of the, part of the reason why some are believe you can lose your salvation is because so much of, uh, of the society that we live in uh, we live in a conditional society. Uh, how many of you own a home? Okay, now, let me re-ask that question. How many of you really own your home in such a way that if you stopped making payments, someone wouldn't come and take the home you own? Okay, now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden those hands. So you don't own your home is what you're telling me, Right. You own your home without owning your home, right? You own your home as long as you keep doing what? Right, exactly. That's the world we live in, right? We own a, how many of you own a car? Okay, this is a little easier one. Now, now some of you are like, nah, I've been down that path. How many of you own a car that if you actually stopped making payments on, you still own that car? Okay, good. All right. Well, so we we so in other words, y'all drive old vehicles. Uh, so uh, I've got a 2008 Dodge Ram, just like that. By now, it's mine. Uh, you know, by now, it's mine. So we live in a conditional society, right? So we're kind of conditioned. Uh, how many of you are married, right? You don't don't raise your hand on that one because uh, you're saying I don't know where he's going with this. I, I can tell you that here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. That some people I marry are liars. Right? 
Okay, and I'm not, this is still sarcasm, right? Because I think every vow I have ever said included the words, till death do we part. I am not 100%. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm not. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus or one of them didn't love Jesus or, or, or something. I, I mean, I don't believe that I've had... I've had couples that I've married that I was like, hmm. Right? I've had that. I've had that. I'm like, really? Okay. Uh, well, let's have some counseling sessions, and I want you to go through this class, and I want you to go through this book, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. But I've never had a couple, even though I might have questioned, what do you see in him, or what does she see in you? You know, I think that was actually the same thing I just said. That was a double negative twice. Uh, I've, never, I've never felt like someone was standing before me just lying through their teeth. I've never had anyone opt out of that clause in the vows. Pastor, that seems a little harsh. Let's, can, we, can we take that out? I've had people, most people, and I still give them this, this opportunity today. I said, you can write your vows. You can go with traditional vows. I've got some opportunities for you. You know, you can just write your own vows. I said, but I want you to know when you write your vows, I'm going to review them, and I want to make sure a couple of things are in there. Uh, and he, I said, here are some suggested you know, and I've given the traditional, the modified traditional, you know, the living Bible version, whatever it is, the paraphrase version. Uh, but I always make sure that phrase is in there. That phrase is in there. I want them to honor God. I want them to love each other. All right. Now, if you, if, yes, Brian. Yeah. Well, not in my marriage vows. So uh, there is a spiritual death in the Bible, but I'm talking about physical death. In, yeah, uh, in physical death. That, that, is, that is true. Spiritual death. So we, all right. So, so let me, I, 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 I don't want to linger here long. I, they all know I'm talking about physical death. Till death do we part. I've never had a guy said, well, until I lose my salvation. <laughs> I'm going to hang with you. Um, so, so anyway, we let, why is it so natural for us to want to think that someone, including us, could lose their salvation? Because we live in a conditional society, don't we? There's a lot of things. Hey, a farmer can go out and plow a field and plant the field and weed the field and right. But guess what? There needs to be the right conditions, Right. You need some rain, and you need rain at the right time, and then you need to harvest, and you need to care, and you need to cultivate. And we live in a conditional society, so it makes a little bit of sense. So let's let's just journey. Let me give you, and I'm going to roll through these pretty quickly. 
um, uh, some of the passages for and against. Let me just, and I'm going to go through these if you've got your uh, Bible. Uh, let me give you some reasons for eternal security, and I really want to get to some of the verses that are reasons against, and I'm actually going to come back and address these uh, a little bit more Sunday morning. Uh, reasons related. Why eternal security? First of all, uh, some reasons related to the Father. We heard just right there in John 10, verse 29, Jesus said, No one is greater than the Father, and no one can snatch us from his hands, okay? So my eternal security as the believer, once I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, my eternal security is based on the fact that no one is greater than the Father. How many of you know what I'm saying? No one can snatch me, snatch me out of his hand, John chapter 10, verse uh, 29. Passage I'm going to look at this week, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Reasons related to the Father, all right? For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. How many of you think Paul could have said at all or etc.? He was saying nothing high, nothing low, nothing left, nothing right, nothing in front of me, nothing in back of me. Uh, no angels, no principalities, no anything, no powers. Who's he talking about? Satan, his minions, his demons, his whatever. No matter what they can do, none of them can separate me from the love of God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Why should we fear Satan? I recommend you don't. Don't dink with him either, uh, you know, and don't mess around with him. But there's no reason to fear Satan. I mean, I, I, I don't teach that. I don't believe that. I don't walk in fear of Satan. I understand that Satan is a ruler and a power in this present world. Am I losing your salvation? Hey, come back next Tuesday. You'll gain it back. So... Uh, uh, so th- does that make sense? I don't. I think there are a lot of people. I, boy, I remember. I remember growing up in in the in the season of uh, uh, of people seeing at least people around me seeing demons everywhere. I remember guys saying, "You know, boy, your alternator would go out." And anybody grow up like this? I, maybe it was just. Hey, I grew up in Spring, Texas. We had a bunch of kooks down there, uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, you know that he'd say, "Well, you got a demon in your alternator." Boy, that's really, you know, for us, it was high-low auto supply. They never said it was anything. They just said it's 60 bucks. We'll get you another one. Uh, and, and does that make sense that they saw demons? I, I don't walk around in fear of Satan. I know he's active. I know he's alive. I don't dink around with him. I'm not going to go play with a Ouija board and see if I can get him to show up in my life. Uh, I'm just going to positively journey and follow in faith. Uh, and uh, I, I do believe he's real. I do believe there are people who have opened themselves up for Satan to attack them. I absolutely believe that, boy, and if you really want to get into it, someday I'll come back if you want me to. I'll talk about uh, can, uh, uh, can Satan possess a believer? Uh, well, I'll give you the short answer, no. He can't oppress them. Uh, he can't attack them. He can't show up. And the more we want to invite him to be a part of our life, uh, you'll see him. I absolutely believe I, I've, I've been in some places where I've seen evil at work, and it's made me fearful. And sometimes it was on a mission field. Sometimes it was right there in downtown Houston. And uh, so anyway, Romans chapter 8. So nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, also, re- reason related to the Father, if you want to write this down, Jude chapter twenty, Jude 24, not chapter 24, Jude verse 24. It says, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, he was able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God himself is able to present him in his glory 
If I can't be snatched out of his hand when I die, guess what? He's able to draw me right here and say, here we are, boys. Here we are. Here we are. Now, let me give you some reasons related to the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, you just heard me say that in verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, man, no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. Here's another one. Another reason related to Christ. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid the price for our sins. What separates us from God? Our sins. If Jesus paid the price for my sins, he paid the price of my sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. So that's a reason related to the Son. Jesus didn't say, Father, forgive them for most of their sins. Anybody remember reading that in Scripture? Jesus didn't say, Father, forgive them for their sins until they stop going to church. He didn't say that. I wish he said that. That'd be better preaching someday. I guarantee you. I've often thought, and uh, don't hear this, uh, uh, I've often thought that, that, that a lot of Baptists could use a good dose of needing good works. Kind of get us off our spiritual behinds to do something for Christ because we love that once saved, always saved. But I've, I've often thought, man, that... I've seen some guys preach, you know, you need to give part of your salvation. I was like, that increase offerings. I won't do it to you. But you need to give. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given to me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on that last day. What is Jesus saying? Everyone Christ gives me, I'm going to keep. And I will raise them up on that last day. Does that make sense? Reasons related to the Father, reasons related to the Son. Uh, here's another one. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. This is right prior to this verse. Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who is the one who condemns? I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, 33 and 34. Who is the one who condemns? It doesn't matter. He says, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, brother, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of the throne of God, who intercedes for us. Guess what? He died for my sins, and he is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for me. Does that make sense? So anytime I sin, Jesus says, but I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. It's almost as if he's showing the father the nail-scarred hands, the nail-scarred feet, the bloodshed, and he goes, done. Taking care of that one. All right, let me give you some reasons related to the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 and 13, the Holy Spirit uh, baptizes us. We are baptized, what Scripture says, baptized in the Holy Spirit. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one uh, individually, just as he will wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also, Christ, and so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, listen to this, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, uh, we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. So, have you ever heard anybody talk about the body of Christ? The body of Christ. 
All right, when we think about the body of Christ, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the body of Christ. If we lose our salvation, guess what? That means a part of the body of Christ has what? Been ripped off, right? That's already taken place on the cross. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into one body. So if we think someone can lose their salvation, we are saying that the body of Christ can be harmed, can be torn apart. Does that make sense? Here's another passage. First, uh, if he, this is reasons related to the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you've listened and believed. Does that make sense? There are a lot of people that hear the message, that taste the good news, that see the good news, but they don't really hear it. They don't believe it. They don't possess it. Uh, Who hear the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with him. With the Holy Spirit of promise. What is the Holy Spirit of promise? The Holy Spirit. So once I hear and I am believed, what does the Holy Spirit do to me? Seals me with the promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So that Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession. So we're given a pledge of inheritance that we are God's possession. The Holy Spirit is the seal in my life, and he is going to redeem us. Now, you say, well, how long does the Holy Spirit seal us? Great question. Paul answers that question in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How long are we sealed for? Until the day of redemption. All right, now I'm looking at the time. Let me go one more for you. Let me go one for you. How about a reason related to definition? The definition of the Greek word for eternal life translated into English means eternal life. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3, verse 15? He says that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave the one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have... There's some King James rolled in there. Some eternal life. Okay, so, reasons related to definition. So Brian walks an aisle, gets saved. You receive eternal life. Jesus promises it. You lose your salvation. Was it eternal? Then Jesus lied. Okay, well, that's different. Then you never received eternal life. So what he, what he said, if you didn't hear him, he said, well, maybe I was never saved at all. See, that, I, we'll, we'll address that too. This, this is going to be a two-parter. There's no way I can get into the other ones. All right, so I'm stating the positive. Y- y'all come back to next week. Will you do that?
All right, come back next week, and I'm going I'm to really, I'm going to jump into the passages that are used uh, by some because I want you to be able to defend your faith and what you believe. But you're exactly right. Uh, Brian's immediate opt-out was, because Brian, if you haven't noticed about Brian, he's a deep thinker. Uh, he, really, he, he initially, he wanted to protect Christ and the words of Christ, so he immediately went to this, I'm really not a Christian. So uh, thanks for that confession. <laughs> but think about this, all right? Think about what we are doing to Christ and his promise. If Jesus gave you eternal life until you lose your eternal life, but then you can walk an aisle again and I'll give it back, eternal life. If, if you get it and lose it and can get it and lose it and you can get it and you can lose it, it never was eternal, Right? then it would have been conditional life. I give you conditionally (laughs) eternal life. Nowhere in there. Now, we are told things like work out your faith with what? Fear and trembling, right? We're going to, anybody ever heard? They went so far and they fell from grace. Y'all do know these passages, right? Y'all want me to go over them next week? I'll go over them. I'll walk you through them. I'll talk you through those passages, each and every one of those passages. But here's the key when we walk away talking about eternal life. If you go look in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were walking around in their disobedience and their begrudgery, and that's a new word. Scott always makes fun of me because I make up new words. I couldn't even do zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay, I-O-I, what a wonderful word, whatever. Yeah, whatever. So I still can't do it. Uh, he, Scott, always, anytime I make up a new word, Scott comes and says, that was a good one. He goes, what? And he'll just quote it for me. And uh, then the staff will put it together on Pastor Bloopers. But in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, remember when they were journeying through the desert, they were infested by poisonous snakes. Remember? And what happened? I don't. I don't want you anywhere near my staff. So, uh, good Lord. All right. So, the the what happened? They 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 raised the staff, right? Said so you look at the stick. You look at the staff. You'll be healed. What does a looking at a stick have to do with healing the poison of a poisonous snake? Let's be honest. Seems kind of silly, right? Seems like you would want some anti-venom to come over. You want some witch doctor, you know, you want some Israelite witch doctor to roll in there and, and blow some smoke on your leg. Anything seems better, right, than looking at a staff. Just seems silly. My guess is there were some Israelites that got bit by a poisonous snake that just said, that's just stupid. And others, others in the family were conjoling them, encouraging them. Look, dude, just look. They go, so get up. Have you looked at my leg? It's all black and blue and it's rotten and snake. And what's that going to do? And there were probably a lot of Israelites that died in their tent with others, others encouraging them just to look. And going to the New Testament, what did Jesus say? Just as in the Old Testament, Moses raised up the staff. So the Son of Man will be raised up. And anyone who looks upon him will have the poison of sin removed. Still to this day, friends and family encourage 
people they love to look at the man who hung on the cross. And some these days will look at you and say, that just seems silly. Some will say, and many about this, it just doesn't seem like it's enough. I believe that if you look at him, and then you do a bunch of other stuff, then salvation will come. But the truth of the gospel is, Jesus paid it all. Now, there's a last part of that phrase that should challenge each and every one of us, not so we can keep our salvation, but so that we can live it out. What is the last part of that phrase? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Not to keep my salvation, but because I'm grateful for my salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. What an opportunity it is to be with these guys and hang out and laugh a little bit, but also study your word. God, let us go out of here with an emboldened idea that as a believer that we're going to walk in faith, we're going to walk in confidence, but we're going to understand, although we don't owe you anything to keep our salvation, it's not conditional. We owe you everything because of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.